My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Welcome to a Minor Detail Radio podcast. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. Uh, you can find me on the web at aminordetail.com, and I am on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. I am on TuneIn Radio. I am on iTunes. You can find me on virtually any podcast application. I would be remiss if I didn't say go Red Sox to start this off. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Um, I have a pre-recorded interview for the sake of watching the Red Sox game tonight, and hopefully they take it through and then end tonight with a series win. So, fingers crossed. I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing congressional candidate, Ami Hober. You've probably heard her name a few times, probably seen some of her television commercials. And I'm going to go ahead and play that interview now. Okay, we are live. I'm here with Ami, Amaretta, Ami for short. It seems like people can't pronounce your name, Ami. Sometimes they say, Amy, I've heard all kinds of strange pronunciations, to be honest with you. Well, as far as, they, as I'm concerned, if they vote for me, they can call me whatever they want. <laughs> that's, that's right, as long as they, uh, they turn out and people are voting. But I'm, I'm here in Potomac on Sunday afternoon. Um, today is... October 28th, and I'm with Ami Hober, who is running for Congress in Maryland's 6th Congressional District. <sighs> it's the final stretch. How many more days? I think it's eight. Eight? That sounds about right, yeah. Nine, eight, depends on who you ask. Early voting started Thursday. Right, and it goes through November 1st, and then we have a few days off and, uh, in terms of the voting process, and then November 6th is the election. So we're going to do about an hour-long discussion. Ami and I are going to talk about the district. We're going to talk about her platform. I have offered the Trone campaign an opportunity to do an interview. However, they have not responded. I've offered the Trone campaign multiple opportunities to, uh, to engage uh, on a journalistic level. Uh, they have not responded. Uh, and again, um, I have attempted to ask Mr. Trone questions in public, and uh, sadly his campaign staffers, his top two staffers, uh, during, the other, during the forum on Tuesday evening in Gaithersburg for the JCRC, um, they physically blockaded me from asking. So, well, I find that really interesting, Ryan, because normally he declines invitations only from women's groups. Well, we'll get into that, but... I we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, today sadly we we're starting off on a somber note. 
Um, there was a, a shooting yesterday in Pittsburgh. I, I know this community well. My I did my undergraduate at Duquesne University, and which is downtown in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, technically, it's considered uptown. I spent time much time in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood. I have attended Tree of Life Synagogue. I know people who have immediate family members. I know people who live in this community and know the impact of the Tree of Life Synagogue. And so I am watching this news unfold, and it is just heartbreaking. I agree. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Mark and I were at a Shabbat dinner um, Friday evening with a very good community and you know, it was a joyful occasion, and I can just imagine what it would have been like if it had been held yesterday. Uh, s- Saturday morning, uh, nothing atypical, a Shabbat service. It was a naming ceremony. And I, I want to point out that uh, both candidates in this 6th Congressional District race um, both spouses are Jewish. Um, June Trone is Jewish. And I believe the Trone family raised their children Jewish. And, and I, my heart do, does go out to Mr. Trone as well because he put out a statement yesterday. In fact, Mr. Trone has deep connections to the Pittsburgh community, and I believe his daughter, Michelle, was named at this synagogue. And, my, and I look, today, forget politics. This, is, this trans, transcends any political um, you know, be- beliefs that we have. I feel united to say that we're all behind the Jewish community. You are you're very involved in the Jewish community here in Potomac. Well, we're members of B'nai Tzedek, yeah. and we've been donors to them and involved in their activities. I I just watched this, and I it's another it's you know it's another someone who was radicalized, someone who was clearly anti-Semitic, and. Um, was radicalized, it looks like, on the Internet um, and walked in to a synagogue where people are privately practicing their faith and used a, a weapon to kill 11 innocent people. And that's been a discussion, Ami, um, throughout this campaign. And I know you have been asked about guns and about gun violence and about hatred for minorities and so maybe we can start off with that. And what 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 is your response to that? What do you where do you stand on the gun issue? That well, I I personally think that the problem is not so much the guns as the people that we allow to have guns so that they can use them in illegal ways. Um, the issue is, in my view, trying to control access by people who have tendencies to be violent. Uh, There are things that can be done about this, better background checks, better enforcement of the states reporting into the national background check database, um, reporting by doctors or friends or anyone of people who display tendencies towards violence. I think those are the first things that need to be worked on. Now, I've heard from people throughout the political community who take a different approach. And we we hear that nobody should have access to an AR-15. What what would you say to that? What's your well, response? I don't think we should have access to military weapons in the future. 
bag. Part of the problem here is that if you define the weapon too carefully um, in order to prevent it, somebody will make a modification of it. And then it's like drugs. There's this thing called spice, and the CDC and will determine that a particular combination of uh, drugs will be prohibited, and that's fine. But the next week, somebody develops a slightly different combination, and then it doesn't fall under that prohibition. And I think you have the same issue with guns, particularly now when we're getting into an era of 3D printing of guns. Um, that's troublesome. That's troublesome. That's very troublesome. And I think the real issue here is to do control of military weapons, the weapons that are only really used in warfare, things like rocket launchers, um, anti-aircraft um, launchers, the things that are strictly warfare weapons, including you know, assault-type weapons, should not be in the civilian population. But I don't want to um, start controlling things that have legitimate um, you know, means of being circulated around. People have the right to have guns for self-protection. They have the right to have guns for hunting. Um, I don't know how you're going to control that. We live in an open society. We live in a a country where we have enshrined in our very constitution, the legal document that binds who we are as a country, that we have a right to defend ourselves. Absolutely. It's we, we need to maintain that right. It's a fundamental piece of the constitution, and I stand by it. And Knowing the 6th District, I grew up in Washington County. I lived there for most of my life. And moving into Montgomery County, there's five, co there's five counties in total that make up the 6th District. And I think it's fair to say that four out of the five counties, including bits of Frederick County, are strong. The people there, they are strong supporters and advocates for the Second Amendment. That's an issue you hear constantly. Yeah, including the First Amendment, which um, I like to <laughs> actively use and take advantage of, the, the right to approach elected officials and ask them questions. Um, but you know, we have – there's so many – there's opposite extremes with respect to the gun issue, Ami. One, an incident occurs, an incident after incident after incident, and we hear we need tougher gun laws. That is what – we often hear, well, what tougher gun laws would prevent this from taking place? What what tougher gun laws outside of banning all weapons, which I think that most people would agree we can't let that happen. I mean, Maryland has some of the strangest, most toughest gun laws in the country.
Let's talk about the 6th District uh, as a, a political district. It was heavily gerrymandered by former Governor Martin O'Malley and the Democrats in Annapolis. I think that's a fair statement to say. In fact, in a USA Today op-ed, he admitted that he politically gerrymandered the 6th Congressional District. On the other hand, the governor, our current governor, Larry Hogan, whom has endorsed you um, and who has campaigned for you, in fact, yesterday in Frederick, uh, right. you guys... The the governor would like to take his position as the the chief executive and instead turn a independent commission that would reset the congressional district lines. Right, and he's tried to get that done for several years, and the legislature won't let him do it at the moment. Now, I do point out that one of the judge well, you know, this case went to the Supreme Court. It did. It got sent back as a matter of procedure. And when it was reviewed at the next level court down, um, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Yeah, it was a few weeks ago, yeah. Um, one of the judges there said that he was in favor of the independent commission with people from all parties participating. And I think that's the right approach. Well, let me ask you this question. Looking at the district lines from Garrett, Allegheny, to Washington, to Frederick, and here in Montgomery, it seems like that this district, and it is, there's, it's top-heavy with Democrats. The Democrats in Annapolis knew exactly what they were doing. It's a, considered, what, a D-plus-6 race now? Um, it's a D-plus-6 uh, district. I just have a hard time with gerrymandering. Everybody in America should have a tough time with gerrymandering, swallowing that pill. And you would work with Governor Hogan, Absolutely. according to your platform, and you have said this, that you would work to ensure that this district is returned to some form of, as you meant, you used the word contiguous, right. that the lines make more sense. Even during, what was it, before 2012, uh, the district was largely, um, it made sense for Western Maryland. Yes, it Montgomery County that are now in 
we often hear that term voter fraud. And now there's very few documented cases of voter fraud or voter disenfranchisement. And is there a case to be made, Ami, that gerrymandering is one of the ultimate forms of voter disenfranchisement? Well, of course, that's the argument that took this case to the Supreme Court. How so? I believe um, one of the central committee's Jer- right. members, Jerry DeWolf, right. was part of was a was a plaintiff in that case. So here we are. We have Garrett County, which is a beautiful place. Um, in fact, you were there a few weeks ago, and you were there for the annual Autumn Fest parade. Autumn Glory, beautiful place. My wife and I, we took the kids up. Um, uh, Yumi Hogan came, and you had walked in the parade. Um, I should mention that America's congressman was there. Um, it was an interesting sign. Um, what did you make of that? Well, this, I'm referring to a sign that was taped to a vehicle. Um, it looked almost like a fire engine um, that said this was with David Trone's um, entourage. He had a sign that said America's congressman, David Trone. What do you make of that? Well, he did run in 2016, uh, jumped into the 8th Congressional District, and I believe he spent upwards of 14.5 or nearly $15 million. And he was overheard in Rockville last year, meeting with Council Member Sidney Katz of Montgomery County's 3rd District, saying that he's willing to spend another outrageous sum of money. And so... Do you do you get a sense that your opponent is trying to buy this race? Sure, right. It isn't even just a sense. It's the reality. He broke the record on the amount of money spent on a congressional race last time, two years ago, and he's now broken the record he pla- made at that point. Before John Ossoff, who ran down in Georgia's 6th Congressional District race, um, he spent a lot of money there. Of course, John Ossoff, he lost. And David Trone in 2016 lost in the Democratic primary to Jamie Raskin, who's the now congressman. And the eighth for a Republican in Maryland is very difficult to win. And uh, and, and in fairness, you and Mr. Trone both live just over the border of the 6th Congressional District. You. Well, And the current congressman, Congressman Delaney, who – right, and Congressman Delaney is leaving this seat to run for president. You faced off against Congressman Delaney in 2016. You came up short in that election, in the general election. And you know, looking at the district as it is today between Garrett, Allegheny – by the way, I, I need to mention, incidentally, there's no Cumberland County. You're no. – your opponent said that. I asked for a comment for clarification. I assume it was a gaffe, but in journalistic integrity and in, in true form, we can't assume anything. He did say that, and he's also had he has also had has called important places like Smithsburg, Smithboro. Um, I believe he has referred to at a Western Maryland Democratic summit that this election will be won by the people of Western Pennsylvania. 
Are these simple – Do you, what do you make of that? Are these simple slips of the tongue, or does he just really not know the district, Ami? Well, I think he really doesn't know the district the way I do. I've been out in the district now for four years on almost a daily basis. Um, I like to get out and talk to people. I like to get out and listen to people. I don't think he does, and I think that shows. What gives you that sense that he doesn't like he to – Your opponent, Mr. Trone, has has been backed by your former opponent, current Congressman John Delaney, and he often uses the phrase, um, and he talks about Western Maryland, and he said that John Delaney told him that the race is going to be won in Western Maryland. Do you think that he has a good sense of Western Maryland, their needs, their values, their concerns? You've been doing this for four years. You know those people. You've been up to Washington County. It seems like you know every nook and cranny, including Allegheny County and up in Garrett County, and you won those three counties last time. Oh, yeah, and I expect to win them this time quite handily. I know all of the officials up there. I've been endorsed by all of the officials. Um, I have good relationships with them and can work with them as we go forward. Um, I'm pretty comfortable up there. What is it about your platform especially for Western Maryland, that would make you an attractive candidate for their values, their issues? I think the fact that I know how to work in the government. I've been in the government. I was in the government specifically for seven years. I have worked with the government my entire career. I know how the government allocates funding. I know how to work the system to get grants allocated to important projects. Um, I think that will be of use to Western Maryland and, for that matter, to Montgomery County. I am looking at Washington County, where I grew up. There is an opioid crisis. Absolutely. It's a public health crisis. Your opponent has attacked your approach to what you call a localized approach. Do you want to explain that? approval uh, 
was a good idea here. The second thing is that his plan to fund NIH, to double the budget of NIH for a long-term solution to new pain medications is a good plan. I mean, that needs to be done, but that I is not my focus. While I am happy to do that and to support it, I think that that's a long-term solution, not a solution for today's addicts. I think that you know, his focus is on generations from now, and my focus is on dealing with the problems of today. And in order to do that, you need to work with the people quite locally. Um, I published a post on Facebook yesterday about a halfway house that's mm -hmm. being actually funded by a company. And they are willing to hire recovering addicts and put them up in this halfway house so that they have some group help uh, and provide some group therapy for them. Um, and that's a very localized approach to helping people. I would rather help people today than to do long-term research that will help their grandchildren. Well, in Washington County especially, I'm sure you know Sheriff Mollendor. Yes. And you've probably been taken on a tour of the facility oh, up yes, there. The day reporting center. Yeah. I spent some real time there, and I've also spent some time at Brooks House. Can we, and Brooks House is another example. Right. And I believe David Trone made a sizable donation to Brooks House. Um, well, and I, I think in that respect, um, I know the person who is in res who's putting together Brooks House, uh, Kevin Simmers, and I, you know, and that's a touchy subject. And I know David Trone has had a loss in his family, another tragic loss, I believe, his nephew, and he talks about that. And I think it's important for candidates like you and Mr. Trone to, I mean, this is all personal. We all. I, I agree. And my friend, Emily Keller, who is a city councilwoman in the, uh, the city of Hagerstown, she has made this one of her primary issues. And I see, I see you and Mr. Trone both dedicated to this issue. You just have different, I guess, avenues of approach. And I don't think that any one of them are wrong. I like many aspects of the 12-step plan. But I also think that attacking your approach for localized facilities day reporting centers. I mean, take a look at Garrett County and Allegheny County. How can we multiply day, the opioid addiction treatments like Washington County? How can we add those to counties like Allegheny and Garrett, places like Cumberland, where we know that that is it's killing young people left and right, Ami. Every time I open up the obituary section on my app for the Herald Mail newspaper, and I, I read it every day, there is a young person that we know, and you can tell what has happened or their fate based on the, the donation where they want them to donate. And it's, it is just crumbling our country. It is, a, it is a crisis that I think we all have to get our hands around. Is it throwing more money at it necessarily, Ami? I mean, what, what is the solution? Well, it's a combination of things. I mean, to start something like Brooks House or the Day Reporting Center, you need to have some financial uh, backing. Um, I know that the Day Reporting Center was set up initially with a grant from the state. Yeah. And the state intends now to use it. At, it's proven itself, I guess, for about a year and a half now. And they want to use it as a model. And one of the things that uh, 
as Sheriff Mullendorf is doing is he's going around to different counties and explaining how he got star it started and how it actually works and the importance of developing relationships with potential employers so that the people that are part of the cadre of folks being treated at the day reporting center have some mechanism of getting the discipline of going to a job, have some mechanism where um, they can be encouraged to have hope for their future. And all of that's incredibly important. And I think it's worked so well in Hagerstown because of the personal relationships of you know, the local people who work together. That's also true in Frederick. Um, the ranch yes. facility would not exist today if it weren't the assets of Frederick City that were able to coalesce around this abandoned sheriff's boys camp and turn it into a very well-functioning residential well, I know if you are elected to Congress, that will be one of your top priorities. Absolutely. And you've said so yeah. all around the district. Yeah. Speaking of the district, I'm interested to understand what you hear often by the citizens of the 6th when you are out campaigning, you're knocking doors, and you're at the different events that you go to. And you go to a lot of things. I see your Facebook. I follow you. You're all over the place. Absolutely. So what are you hearing on the street? Well, what I hear on the street is that they're glad I'm there. They're glad that I'm willing to get out there and walk amongst them and talk to them and listen to them, that they like having the access to me. They like uh, knowing that they can get to me. I've been very public about my phone number. People call me from all over the district with both questions and issues. And, for example, I got a call the other day from someone in Hagerstown that talked to me about a grant that for a transportation project that had been turned down. And um, I was able to tell them, hey, I've had experience writing grants to the government. I know how to make a winning grant proposal. I know how to increase the probability of success of a proposal. And after I'm elected, I will go look at their proposal and see if I can figure out how to make it better so it can be resubmitted. I mean, those are the things where my experience, I think, can really bring something to add. And the fact that I'm public about my phone number and anybody can call me about anything, anytime. Yeah, I think that access, being able to talk directly with your constituents and for people also to come directly to you. And one of the criticisms that your opponent, Mr. Trone, has received is that he's overstaffed. You see everywhere he goes, there's somebody directly next to him, and you almost feel like you're boxed out. I've experienced that. I mean, personally, where he is at an event, and he has several of his paid campaign staffers standing next to him. Now, I, I know that candidates are often staffed, but I've seen him out and about, and you will. And anybody who takes notice will say that there's always someone – directly attached to him. I mean, he has one staffer, um, I think his name is Eric Feldman, um, and I may be butchering his last name, but he's always right next to him. His campaign manager, Jarek Kurtz, who is from Ohio and worked on Anthony Brown's campaign, 
is directly right next to him. His press guy, Alex Kareen, they are right next to him. And I think that people feel a sense that they can't go up and talk to him or that there's some sort of rock star persona about him when he is nothing more than an average guy. Or he tries to, or he portends to be an average person, and I've gotten the sense that he is inaccessible. I can't get my questions answered. I can't get his staff to respond to me. And they're not illegitimate questions. These are real issues. These are real questions that I have, and I get the sense that maybe he just doesn't feel like he has to answer them. I'm a taxpayer, Ami. I'm a constituent of the 6th. I lived here for all my life. My kids go to school here. My, we work in the 6th. It just seems interesting, right? Well, you, you have a right to be able to talk to your congressperson, in my view. And my reaction is that's who I am. Um, I, there's a street corner that I stand <laughs> on on first Saturdays in Frederick mm. every first Saturday. Um, I talk to sometimes 100 people, sometimes 200 people. There, but I am known to be on that street corner. People know they can come talk to me. And by the way, that also was a hazard. I got a threat. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. What happened with the threat? Uh, the threat was a tweet that said, the next time I see you at that corner, I'm going to knock you over. Oh. Um, now, it was a tweet, and it had a name attached to it, and I don't know whether it was a real or a fake name. Did you turn it over to the police? I turned it over. Oh, that's good. And that's well, unfortunate. My is that goes back to the gun comment. If people behave in such a way that you think there's a potential for violence, it ought to be reported. And so, you know, living by my own standards, I reported it. Well, that's that's the responsible thing, and I'm sorry that happened. Um, I'm I'm really sick and tired of this the political violence um, from both. I mean, really, well, and. That I saw that story, and I haven't read it in its entirety, but I did see that. This, this, from all sides, it needs to stop. From harassing members of Congress um, out when they are having dinner. I mean, I understand people dislike Mitch McConnell, I, and, and they have a right to disagree with his politics, but I just think that this is ridiculous. And, you know, and it happens on both of these partisan sides. It's so heated. The rhetoric is so hot these days. And I, I think it's also important to note that a, a credible female candidate, Aruna Miller, she ran in District 6, and she lost to David Trone. She came in second, and, and she would have um, – from by your interaction, Ami, it seems like you would have much preferred to to, to have an honest policy discussion with her. I mean, Aruna and I actually have had some discussions. We, we Is that right? We do run into each other here. Uh, we both actually walk the streets far more than my opponent David Trone does, and I I have run into her at random times on the road. And I have, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Aruna as well as several of other Mr. Trone's 
former primary opponents, they did not endorse him. They, I have asked them individually, each one of them, barring Chris Graves, and I forgot about him, so I will say I will have to follow up with Mr. Graves, but I did a story on that on a aminordetail.com, and none of his opponents endorsed him. What is that? Is that a testament to who he is as a... Well, I think that when you are willing to spend $15 million, it's over 16 now. It's over 16. He put more money into an anti army ad just last Friday. Talk about that. What is, what is he saying, and what would you like to publicly dispute? I'm, What happened there? What is your impression of that? Of course, it's fair to say he was exonerated. You mentioned that the other evening at the JCRC debate. You took some heat from some of his supporters about that. And that that issue came up last uh, two years ago when he ran for congressional district six or eight. And, and yeah, I know I get them mixed up. Um, and Lupec did a really solid story, as well as Bill Turk, who I dearly miss at the Washington Post. I wish you were still there. Uh, Bill Turk is a fabulous reporter, and he had Mr. Trone clearly had some legal issues. Yeah. What happened? I mean, what do you, what's your take on that? Do you believe your opponent deliberately buys access? Yes. He says he buys access. He's been quoted in the Washington Post as saying, quote, I write my checks to buy access, unquote. And I think he means it. He also into... He also commented that he's funding a number of... uh, He's helping to fund a number of campaigns around the country now because he wants the right committee assignments should he win. In 2015, he gave a $2,500 donation to Pennsylvania GOP gubernatorial candidate Scott Wagner. The Maryland Democrats have been targeting Larry Hogan for campaigning alongside Scott Wagner. And whatever you think of Scott Wagner, I've seen his clips, and there's some civility issues. Of course, I have attempted to ask the Trone campaign about that particular donation from 2015 when Scott Wagner was a state senator. They will not respond to me. They will not answer my questions. So is that another example of him buying access? And I should mention that he gave that donation in May of 2015, in I guess it was in April, Scott Wagner put forward a bill in the Pennsylvania State Senate to privatize Pennsylvania's liquor monopoly. Okay, I suppose those could well be 
any research on that. Frankly, I'm busier running my own campaign. I was interested in the fact that if you look at the donations that Trone has accepted, most of them come from companies or people involved with his total wine store. I did tweet that. I have I have done s- several bits of research on that. I'm sure you've done more research <laughs> well, than that. I'm, I'm out there talking to people. Well, I I appreciate that. Uh, that's my job, and mm-hmm. you have a job. Right. Um, let's go back to the forum the other evening. Um, where you you were approached after the forum at in Gaithersburg, it was held at a synagogue um, by Mr. Trone's wife, June Trone. What was the issue there? What was the, the conversation, if you don't mind? Well, I mean, she was clearly upset that I had referred to the indictments and you know, the fact that he had had to pay fines as a result of them. And I just made the comment that, uh, you know, I knew he was exonerated, but he paid fines. Mm-hmm. She commented that, no, indeed, he didn't pay the fines. His company did. Well, what's the difference? Uh, since it's a wholly owned company, I don't think there's any difference. Well, I, I would try to follow up, but again, the Trone campaign will not respond to me. And let me mention this incidentally and parenthetically. They stopped responding to me around August 17th. And let me tell you the significance of that date. I reached out to Mr. Trone's campaign manager via text. His name is Jared Kurtz, and I mentioned him earlier in this podcast. Jared and I had a a, a great relationship. I have a great relationship with you and your campaign. You guys don't BS me, and I just – I ask questions, you respond. And I asked Jared via text. I said, there have been issues – I I noticed that Mr. Trone's does not look healthy, okay – and I still have the text message. And I asked him, people are, I said, people have expressed concern to me. And it's true. I had dozens of people who expressed concern to me that he does not look well. And instead of telling me the truth, he chalked it up as gossip. And to me, that is fundamentally dishonest. And that is what's so upsetting when you do this job and when you write a Maryland News political website, you don't necessarily have to get an on-the-record comment then, but I would appreciate them to be transparent with me and say, give us some time. And of course, it was discovered after I published the story with photographic evidence that Mr. Trone very sadly has cancer. That's a terrible thing. I want him to get better, and I'm sure, and you have made a statement. I mean, it, it is truly terrible. He is a father. He is, you know, he is a husband, and I've had we've all known someone who has been affected by cancer. I've lost family members. I hope he recovers and goes on to do good things. But I will say that I've been disappointed by the way that they this campaign that his campaign has been reluctant to tell the truth, to be honest with people. Let me give you another example. In Frederick, back during the primary, there was a memo that was leaked to me that he wrote and the way that he discussed African-American outreach. What is your take on that, Ami? Um, I read the, the post that you put on that. Um, I think it was a denigration of his relationship with his constituents. And I don't think it's limited to black people. I think it's also limited to wi- It's also involves women. Um, I don't know what other minorities it may involve. But he certainly has dissed women. Uh, the fact that he wouldn't respond, even respond to the League of Women Voters, 
um, really upset me because I'm a member. Now, I don't think he didn't respond because I'm a member, but I think it was a, a denigration of a request from a, a female group. Um, there was also one of his staff members that left a woman, um, and I don't remember the story in detail, but she claimed... Gracie Rivera Oven. Yeah, she claimed harassment or an, uh, an uncomfortable work... It wasn't harassment, but it... Yes, there there were issues. I asked the campaign about it. Uh, I didn't get much of a response. They did respond back then, um, but still there are some open questions about how his staff treat women. Look, his pollster, Harrison Hickman, who is an appendage to him, um, worked for John Edwards, one of the sleaziest people in politics. John Edwards, who refused to admit that he... He fathered a child out of wedlock whom, when his cancer-stricken wife you know, was going through treatment. This is – if I were David Trone, I would not have hired Harrison Hickman. That to me says a lot. That to me says a lot. I think it's an interesting point. And you know, last week Harrison Hickman was on Twitter on Sunday morning. This is David Trone's pollster that he pays was tweeting at me that I was defaming him. By posting a Politico link. I mean, that's interesting. Yes, posting a link from Politico. And I'm just saying, this is, the, this is what we're up against, and the money. And I say we, as constituents, I don't get a lot of response from their campaign. And it seems like even the Democrats who would not ever support him in an election have now come around. I see that. Well, you know, I'm hoping that he would be a responsive member of Congress. Speaking of which, yesterday he had a, an event with Nancy Pelosi. What do you make of that? Oh, well, he's already said that, that she's the person he wants to support for speaker. And then he has – he and his people have dissed me for my age, and I'm younger than Nancy Pelosi. I mean, come on. Well, yeah. Any t- yeah, it's it's interesting. That that's all I can say is it's interesting. Ami, the sixth district, it's 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 split. It's a tough district, especially in this political culture. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and and let's get this out on the table. Part of the district is very solidly pro-Trump. Right. Where we are in in the heart of Montgomery County, where I live in Gaithersburg. And where you live here in Potomac, this is anti-Trump. Well, I'll tell you, what I'm running on is the fact that I care about the district, and I will do the best I can to represent the interests of the district. I am not running as a Trump acolyte in any way. Uh, I support some of the policies that he has, particularly in the areas I know a lot about, um, the economic world and defense and foreign policy. Um, as I've said publicly many times, I wouldn't invite him home for dinner. And that's. But that isn't what I hired him for. What I hired him for as a U.S. citizen voting for president last time was I hired him to do a job, and he's doing the job. The district again is split, and you're in a tough spot as a Republican woman. Even um, part of the district says, "Why don't you support Trump enough?" Part of the district says. Why do you? Why are you so heavily clinging to Larry Hogan? Larry Hogan gets criticism up in Western Maryland. 
this portion of the district, which is overwhelmingly Democrat, says Ami Hober might be a good choice. We believe that she is a, a centered thinking person, but Donald Trump, this is a referendum on Donald Trump. What do you say to those people? Well, and what you hear, again, with this president, and especially from Democratic women in this district, and this is the complaint, is that how could a woman support this president? And it's, it goes to this president's character. I have a lot of problems with this president. I didn't vote for him. I couldn't possibly do that. And, and I think that there are reasonable policy differences that you can have, but I, I, I want you to speak to that. Aren't do you ever say, I really just wish he would just stop this crap? I mean, well, I wish he would stop tweeting because I think that increases some of the divisiveness. Um, and the real thing is that I wish people would understand do you really want to vote for someone who will ignore this district for two years and not be effective just because you don't like that the president tweets? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you want somebody that will serve the district? I mean, there's about 16 other candidates who ran in the Republican primary who I could think of that were better choices. And I know this is who we were stuck with, but you're saying that you will stand up, and this is what I've heard, you will stand up when, it, when you believe that the president is wrong. Which Bush? Okay. So it's fair to say that if you believe your party is wrong, the Republican oh, Party, so. you're going to, so. yeah. I mean, I've written, I've written memos on the things that I have disagreed with uh, the current administration on, and I will continue to disagree when I feel that they're wrong. And I feel most constituents and citizens and voters in the 6th District, or for that matter, any congressional district, they are looking for a congressional representative 
who is independent thinking. That is not always going to toe the party line. That will. Sure. And, and my opponent is, is clearly partisan. I mean, the fact that he entertains people like Nancy Pelosi you know, and on a regular basis and has had Obama over to his house on a regular basis. I mean, I, he's clearly partisan. I intend to be you know, supportive of the things that I think are right, and I will oppose the things that I think are wrong. Your opponent has backed the Democratic gubernatorial nominee, Ben right, Jealous. Right. Um, I believe between he and his wife, they both have contributed, I think, about $12,000 to him. And there was an issue, too, in the primary – he and his wife and family all donated to Prince George's County Executive Sharon Baker, who lost to Ben Jealous in the Democratic primary. And Sharon Baker ultimately endorsed David Trone, and some people describe that as pay-to-play. I didn't. I'm just saying that that was a characterization. What do you make of that? Well, you know, I I would ask him that again, but uh, they do not respond to me, and uh, I I think that by this time I've I've broken enough stories on his campaign that uh, you know maybe uh, maybe down the line I I think they they sense I sense that there's a fractured relationship. They don't want to answer tough questions, and I understand that. Maybe they're just thinking, hey, it's a Nate Silver. Um, from the New York Times says this is a D plus six district. There's a 99% chance that David Trone can win. Maybe they're just coasting, but Ami, you're getting a different sense. You've said that. What are you getting? Um, he has... He has a disrespect for rules. Um, in fact, the other night at the JCRC debate, they were putting up signs all over the place. Well, not only that, they were standing inside the synagogue handing out stickers. Was that forbidden? Yes. And the rules? In the, no, it was not even specifically addressed in the rules, but it was said you cannot put signs in front of the synagogue, which they did do. Huh. And then they were asked to remove them, and they did. His endorsement of Ben Jealous, him standing next to even uh, Democratic nominee for county executive here, Mark Elrich from Tacoma Park, very progressive, very left-wing. Ben Jealous, very progressive, very left-wing. Is that the same values that are shared in Western Maryland and in Frederick and in portions of Montgomery in this district? Do you believe that Ben Jealous's politics are far too extreme for this district? Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've quoted Larry Hogan on that. I agree with Larry Hogan. It's an enormous um, sort of expense and um, economic approach to taking care of people. I don't want the government to run my life. I think one of the key fundamental differences here 
is do you think the government can run your life better than you can? And I don't believe that. Um, you said earlier that you would be a partner with Larry Hogan. What are some of the things that state government and our congressional delegation can partner to enhance different projects? Let's say 270. Yeah, and, right. Can you speak to that? Eighty-one. That's a big one. That um, I believe it's about a sixteen or seventeen mile stretch between Westford. Between what? <laughs> so have I, and it needs to be widened. Yeah, I have driven that when there are accidents up in that stretch um, in Washington County. It shuts down infrastructure entirely, sometimes for hours at a time. It's an economic problem. Mm -hmm. How can you expect to bring more business into that area unless you have an adequate transportation network? I agree, and that is so important, especially up in western Maryland, where they have been lacking job growth there, right. and that has been another portion of your platform. Would you like to speak to that? I've worked on that ever since I began running four years ago. Um, what I'm trying to do is to facilitate connections between small companies out in the western part of the district and larger companies that I know through my many years of working in the national security world and getting them to do back office work essentially for the bigger companies. And this is a benefit. It's a win-win situation for both sides. You get more jobs out in the western area, and you get um, a cost advantage and a small business credit advantage to the larger companies here around the Beltway. Uh, and so everybody wins, and there's, you know, there's real, real job growth to be made there. You get to Congress, and what do you... What do you really want to accomplish when you're in Congress? What is that one or two items that you, know, you get there and it's, it's almost your, your mission? What is it? Well, my first mission is to give the people in the western part of District 6 a voice that they haven't had forever, um, or at least for six years, let's put it that way, uh, to give them a voice, to give them a feeling that they are being looked at and paid attention to. But then there are the substantive issues I want to work on. I want to work on improving the transportation infrastructure here. I also want to work on improving the business infrastructure. There are things that need to be done, for example, to bring broadband uh, more out to the western area. Especially in Garrett County. Yeah, well, they won't be able to do serious business growth without the connectivity. Right. Um, that's something that's important. I want to work seriously on the opioid addiction problem at the local level and get more, more interdiction of the supply chain, uh, more prevention work being done, uh, you know, trying to get some money out of Big Pharma the same way we did out of the tobacco companies to help fund some of the, the fight here. Um, I want to help the addicts that want recovery and need help getting recovery um, in addition to the family member that I lost 
you're going to have to go. I also I'm so sorry, to, Ami. Yeah, well, it's rough. Yeah. But I also had to put one of my other family yeah. members in a rehab facility years ago, and I know that good rehab actually does work. And, you know, I think we need to provide a variety of different types of that throughout the district. There's also a new one here in Montgomery County that just opened in September, which I think it, I went to see, and it's excellent. Um, and I, you know, those are the substantive issues I want to work on, and I would work with Governor Hogan because he has plans on both of those as well. Yeah. Um, and just wrapping up, and just a few more minutes, um, you, uh, you've probably been asked this question a dozen and a half times, and they ask, you know, you've, I've heard this at the forums, well, how would you be a, more effective than your opponent? But in your own words, leaving us with that, this could be one of the final interviews you do before the primary. What is it that you want the, the district six constituents to know about Ami Hober as their elected leader here in the sixth? Uh, what I want them to know is that I care about them, that I will work as hard as I possibly can in all the areas that I've talked about, and that I will be there for them every day. I, have an, I, I ran an open door policy when I was in the Pentagon and had thousands of people that ultimately reported to me. And I want them to know that I'm there for them. Yeah. Uh, this is my heart. This is my soul. I'm near the end of my career in the professional world of national security. I want to give back to them you know, my caring. Well, it, what a way to give back, to run for Congress, to, to spend a lot of your own money. This is not a cheap endeavor, um, but uh, my hat is off to anybody who enters the political arena to and, and puts their name on a ballot. It's, it's not tough. Ami, what's your website? <laughs> and it's all, that's also the site for my Facebook page. And if anyone wants it, my phone number is 301-469-3707, and I answer my own phone. <laughs> well, early voting ends, I believe, November 1st, and November 6th is the general election. If you haven't already voted, maybe early vote. If you have an absentee vote or send it in your absentee ballot, I don't know if it's too late to do that. I think it is. But uh, if you don't plan to vote early during the early voting period, like my grandparents, they have a hobby and their hobby is to go vote on election day. And they live in Hagerstown. And they've been doing this for you know the last 70 years of their life. So go out and vote on election day. Ami, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, best of luck. It's actually been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you. All right. That was congressional candidate Ami Hober. She's a Republican running for Congress in Maryland's 6th Congressional District. Sorry about the mic issues. We recorded today on a double track. It was fine. But I uploaded it to this site, and there was an audio issue. I'm going to go ahead and add it to another site, and you will hear the audio clearer. So with that, uh, like I said, early voting ends on November 1st. That's this Thursday. Election day is November 6th. Vote, vote, vote. And you can find us on the web at aminordetail.com and on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. Thank you, everybody, for listening this evening. I'm out of here. Back to the Red Sox game. Go Red Sox.